you're live. Ready to go. Well, good morning, everyone, uh, and welcome to another episode of WA This Week. Look, um, uh, the interest in politics continues. Uh, I guess you'd think I have to be interested in politics, but um, certainly this new uh, Cook Safiotti Labor government uh, is off to a very rocky start, and uh, I do think it's a portent of things to come for this government uh, in that their failures are being exposed and will continue to be exposed. But, um, look, we'll focus on some specific topics. First of all, um, matter that I've spoken about a number of times, the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Bill, more particularly the rollout of that bill. Now, look, there is a lot of stuff in the detail of the bill that, that I, the public are still completely unaware of, and the regulations are, are even more of a minefield for anyone that um, has potential to uh, interact with uh, Aboriginal cultural heritage uh, or potential Aboriginal cultural heritage in their activities, be they contractors or be they property owners. But the thing that we've really focused on over the last um, couple of weeks is the absolute debacle um, of this government's rollout um, of the uh, new laws, in you know, the lack of information coming out to the public and then the utter confusion they've caused with the information they've sent out, um, putting up guidelines for, for miners and others that already have Aboriginal cultural heritage surveys as part of previous um, uh, native title agreements, um, and putting up guidelines for that, then withdrawing them. Now they've come out um, with other guidelines. You know, and, and it, all the way along, uh, we've got, got Premier Cook, nothing to see here you know well he desperately wants people not to see anything he doesn't want to see he doesn't want them to see the incompetence um of his minister and uh, himself his government uh in the way that they're doing this you know and and the attempted this downplay the concerns and i spoke about that last time but you know my colleague the honorable neil thompson um uh put out a petition an electronic petition online um, so that people could indicate whether they had concerns or not. Well, he got 30,000 signatures, the second largest petition in the history of the state. What do we see in Parliament? Uh, but uh, the Premier, Roger Cook, um, going, oh, this is, you know, oh, it's meaningless. This, is, this isn't important. It doesn't indicate concern. You know, one of my colleagues has got a bit of uh, memory of history was going through. This is the same Premier when he was in opposition. He submitted a parliament uh, a petition in Parliament that had 35 signatures. Now, he thought that was important at the time, and I actually went and watched the speech, and he spoke at length about the petition and had a long preamble that he read in Parliament. And then he submits a petition uh, by 35 people, and that's fair enough. 35 people in his electorate were concerned about a matter. But here we have an e-petition, 30,000 people signing. It's not just doing a like or something. People have to put in all of their details you know, so it, it's not some trivial thing. Um, but those 30,000 signatures were meaningless. But it's indicative of this government, just really supremely arrogant. They know best. They know what to do. If you question anything they do, you're stupid or even more pejorative name calling, which, again, I went through before. But, you know, th this is the nature of this um, this new government. Now, what are they doing? Literally at the 11th hour, I mean, this but, uh, this act is live tomorrow, and suddenly, a few days ago, they go, oh, hang on, we've got to put out a $500,000 uh, education campaign. 
I mean, imagine doing it now. So as of 1 July, this new Act and the regulations apply. And I want to talk a little bit about that um, and some of the statements made by the Premier and the uh, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. But, um, you know, it's going to apply tomorrow. And now they're putting out an advertising campaign. I mean, what a farce. Um, you know, and of course, the devil's in the detail. And, and the advertising campaign, I heard one of them on the radio, all it's doing is justifying what they've done. It doesn't tell you anything. Uh, it just says, oh, hang on, nothing to look at here, nothing to worry about, don't you worry. Well, you know, um, fascinating to hear the minister and the premier say, we're going to go softly. You know, I I'm astounded. Both the uh, Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, uh, the Honourable Tony Booty, and the Premier have been in Parliament for a long time. You know, I'll tell you one thing. It doesn't matter a tinker's cuss uh, what they say. What matters is when you're facing a court and, and a judge is reading an act and reading regulations and you've done something that goes against those, you'll be prosecuted. The Premier can stand outside the court and bang a drum all day if he likes. It will make no difference whatsoever to what the court does. I mean, this is just a farce. For them to say that somehow or other, because they've made statements, you know, happen in public or in Parliament, that, oh, we'll go softly for a while. This is a joke. I mean, this is a complete joke. The courts, as they should do, the courts will do their work without fear and without favour. They don't care what the minister says. They don't care what the premier says. The courts will apply those laws and those regulations F of July 1. Now, the minister and the premier may be able to influence government department, but that doesn't matter. Anyone can bring an action under this uh, Bill, any, any uh, for example, any uh, local prescribed body corporate that believes Aboriginal cultural heritage is being harmed, as defined in this new Act and regulation, um, can can put that matter into dispute. So, you know, it, this is just continues the ludicrous way and the amateur way uh, that this new Premier and new Minister, um, or not so new Minister, in fact, in this uh, particular area, uh, the way that they've rolled this out. It's all about reassuring they're not dealing with the substantive matters. And as I've made clear, I have the gravest concerns that this Act, and in particular the regulations, the changes that were made to the Act and the regulations, are going to institutionalise conflict. Um, and I think that's bad for everyone. It's bad for heritage, Aboriginal heritage. It's bad for um, people who are going to get caught up um, in disputes and and court cases, because there will be court cases um, in this, and and gonna and gonna cause harm all round. So, you know, a, an appalling start by this new premier. If he had any decency, it's not too late. He could say we're going to delay the implementation. He's got that choice, um, and he's choosing not to do it. He's sticking his jaw out and going nothing to see here. Well, um, it's the wrong thing to do. And as I say, ultimately, I think this is going to cause more harm than good because of the way that they've done it. Um, another interesting area, my colleague, uh, the Honourable Nick Grant in the Upper House, has been part of the opposition's team uh, this week in the Upper House doing what's called estimates. Now, that's not to go into great detail, but that's a process where the opposition gets to question the government's budget line by line, um, uh, go through all of the various areas, but they get to ask questions related to the budget. 
Now, the Honourable Nick Moran is very interested in the area of, of law and order, but in particular, what happens to prisoners who are on patrol, uh, parole? Um, and what happens, and many of you would know, um, when a prisoner gets to the end of their sentence, they can apply for parole, and if they've done the right thing in prison and they've participated in you know, training, education, they've behaved themselves, then there can be a reduction on the the length of their sentence where they're allowed to go out into the community. So, But it's on parole, so it means that if they re-offend or they break particular rules around their parole, they'll be put back in prison. So it's just a way of transitioning prisoners into the community. I think everyone thinks that's a, a fair approach. Um, we have had concerns in the past and, and grave concerns about some prisoners who are paroled because it seems unimaginable that you would ever let some people out, uh, especially prisoners that commit really egregious crimes against children um, and uh, people who are violent, rapists and the like. But nevertheless, um, our justice system allows that transition. Um, the Honourable Nick Duran asked a very simple question, and that is, um, do you know, are you keeping track of all of the prisoners who are on parole who aren't complying with their parole conditions. Can you tell us, for example, how many prisoners um, uh, have have broken their parole uh, conditions and there's a warrant out uh, for their um, capture? Do you know where they all are? Well, look, because the answer that came back, which I think would horrify pretty well every Western Australian, is, well, no. That's what the minister who was responsible in the chamber answering the questions said. No. They didn't know that. Now, you would have seen in the West Australian today, if you've read it, that in fact there's a, a, a really serious rapist um, who, who carried out a really horrendous rape, um, you know, in a, in a public place on a complete um, stranger. And, and that person uh, was out on parole. Everyone has completely lost track of that person. No one knows where that person is. They're not complying with their parole conditions. They're not reporting and no one knows where they are. I mean, this is a farce, but apparently this is, is, is a relative norm that we have prisoners out on parole, but no one actually knows where they are. I mean, this is, again, you know, this government, they love to beat their chest, as I've said here before. They've got a police minister that loves to stand next to pictures of a drug haul or a stash of cash, or in particular, he loves standing next to... Um, other police officers with, with a pile of firearms, um, you know, and say how they're tough on law and order. But the real, I mean, here you've got real criminals, you know, criminals who've committed serious crimes um, and, and they've been given the privilege of parole, they break their parole conditions and no one knows where they are. I mean, this is a government that is weak on law and order. They're not doing their job properly and... Uh, you know, you need to see a dramatic improvement. But as I said, it's indicative of a government that is weak on law and order. And this is why we see violent crime increasing by over, well, by around 20% under this Labor government since they've come into power. So um, uh, I thank uh, the Honourable Nick Duran for bringing that to uh, the, the community's attention. And I expect to see that uh, the uh, police minister, because once people are not obeying their parole conditions, it's a police matter. Um, we see these people rapidly uh, apprehended and returned to jail. Um, just another issue that's, um, you know, sort of slipped under the radar a little bit, although there has been some coverage in the press about this. Um, you may recall, I've talked about it a couple of times, there's a, a, a man, Brock Burston, 
Uh, it's not the title that's used, but he's a truancy officer in Halls Creek. In 2020, um, he was deeply concerned that only about 8% of the kids in that town were at regularly attending school. Uh, and he, was, uh, he had communicated that to the education department. Someone in the local shire asked him uh, what was the attendance level at the school. He told the shire, he, he uh, told the shire what the uh, truancy level was at the school, which was appalling. And, and the Halls Creek Shire Council is a great shire. They really try and work with the community. They just want to make it a better place. They want kids go to school. They want people getting jobs. They want to deal with uh, the social issues as much as they can. So you, know, you should understand why they wanted to know about how many kids were actually attending school regularly. Um, well, what happened out of that? Remember I've said to you, this is a Labor government that's obsessed with secrecy. And of course, what's behind that? They're obsessed with control. And in this case, what did they do? They suspended him uh, from his position. So he was stood down from his position as truancy officer. Um, they then tried to launch uh, legal proceedings that actually went to court, took him to court, for goodness sake, for having the temerity simply to tell the local shire how many kids were attending school. So they took him to court. The magistrate threw it out of court, as sensibly. As, as, as I said to you many times, I, I'm a great believer in our legal processes. I think overwhelmingly our courts uh, do the right thing. And in this case, you know, the, 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 the magistrate in charge sensibly said, this is rubbish, uh, and threw that out of court. What did the education department do? Did they sort of back down? No, they said they were continuing investigations. Now, this is back in 2020 that this happened. And so then they launched proceedings in the, uh, in the WA Industrial Relations Commission to take action against him there. So failed in the civil, in the, in the courts. So then they're taking him to the industrial relations process. Meanwhile, he's on what they call gardening leave. He stood down from his position, someone who's passionate about his job, stood down. And you can imagine the trauma. He and his family have gone through this whole time, three years. At the 11th hour, do you know what they do? Because they didn't have a leg to stand on in the charges that they put up, they withdrew uh, the action from the industrial relations court. Now there's been a settlement. But mark my words, this is the hallmark of this Labor government, obsessed with secrecy, obsessed with control. And they have, you know, why did they do this? And there are, there's another major case, which I'll talk about another time, uh, but other examples as well. This is a, is, a, is a government that is brutal in the way that it treats its public servants. So it doesn't deal with the issues they raise. It, it sends the clearest message to the public servants. You do what you're told or we'll destroy your life. And that's what they tried to do here. It's disgraceful. You know, we've got an education, or the previous education minister um, uh, who was responsible for this, someone who considers themselves a great social warrior and uh, standing up for the small person. But how do they behave in government? Just brutal um, in the way that they treated Brock Burst. And it's a disgrace, the way that they've treated him. Look, I'm really glad that apparently he's now going to be able to go back to work and do his job, and I'm glad for that. But the trauma that they've put him through and his family through is just disgraceful. But it's a hallmark of a Labor government. What a bunch of hypocrites. You know, a government that says, you know, they're Labor, they'll stand up for people. They're nothing Labor. There's nothing Labor about this government in the good old-fashioned sense of Labor governments. 
um, they are just brutal uh, in the way that they are going to try and, or they they do control the public servant and anyone who criticises them. So, you know, let's let's see if we see a change in behaviour. We won't. I'm certain because it's, this is the hallmark of them. And as I say, I'm, it's sort of one of those things that's possibly slipped under the radar for many people, but uh, I think it is really profound um, in, in what's been done. I'm just glad that Brock Burston is back in his job um, and able to do his work again. Look, otherwise, um, thanks very much for listening to WA This Week. Um, uh, this is live for some, if you're not looking at the reporting, so uh, happy to answer any questions or queries that folk have. Um, otherwise, um, thanks very much for, for listening for those that are. And remember, you can subscribe to this as a podcast on Facebook, Spotify, YouTube or TikTok just by searching Dr. David Honey. Please share it um, with your friends and that. And, you know, as I've always said, great chance to get the message out uh, and otherwise just welcome your feedback. Thank you. All right. Well, I'll ask one question from uh, Facebook, but I'm not sure I know what this means. Uh, Neville says, have the Libs still got row X, the row X on their books, which I guess is uh, the row A. Yeah. Okay. Look, a- absolutely. And, um, you know, I've, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this. You know, why is the Rove Highway connection important? Because um, Fremantle Port itself is only at one third capacity. So Fremantle Port um, could take... Uh, more than uh, or twice as much uh, traffic in addition to the the freight that it currently handles without any significant major capital expenditure. The problem with Fremantle portings um, that you can't get the traffic into there. And those of you that drive on Leach Highway and South Street um, and come down uh, that part of uh, Stirling Highway or Victoria Street, you know that interacting with those large trucks carrying containers can be pretty terrifying. It's even more terrifying for the truck drivers in a lot of ways because they constantly have people pulling in front of them and they've got to brake and swerve to avoid cars and, you know, they obviously don't want to hit anyone, so it's bad for everyone. Um, And, of course, the Row 8 extension was to deal with that and instead you've got this ludicrous solution. The government, the state government, they they build a multi-million dollar roundabout. Those of you that, um, you know, would travel that way uh, going on to uh, Leach Highway and um, cost millions and millions of dollars. They knocked down something like 70 mature tulip trees to do it. And, and this was all so that they they could avoid doing 0.19 hectares um, of clearing in uh, the extension for the Row Highway. It was just a logical stupidity. Um, and, of course... Um, uh, meanwhile, demolished a heap of houses and other things as well on their solution. But we really do need a freight solution. And, you know, what's the sharp end of this? The sharp end of this is you as a taxpayer are going to be on the hook for anywhere upwards, I think, of a $12 million plus expenditure on a new harbour. So it's just, you know, imagine, well, imagine what that does to debt, but imagine that would, what that money could do if it was spent on other things. So, yep, Um we favour the highway extension now. You may have to do it differently now. The government are sort of playing games and they're trying to make it impossible. They're trying to turn areas into housing so that, you know, you can't ever reprise that original plan. If you did it, you'd probably end up doing it through tunnels. Um, but, you know, going from Fremantle Harbour to the Outer Harbour is going to put the taxpayers on the hook for billions and billions and billions of dollars. Um, you're going to destroy... 
a minimum of 60, but anyway, we're up to 120 hectares of seagrass in Coburn Sound to do it as well. Um, uh, and uh, you could use that money for other purposes. And for a start, build a port at Oak and Gerald, where you'd actually create jobs as opposed to simply moving jobs from Frio um, and further south. All right. From TikTok asking about the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act, will you eradicate this legislation? Can't even put up a fence post in the ground. Yeah, look, um, one thing I think the minister has outlined and in the regulations, uh, superficially at least, you can put a fence post in. Um, but if you're going to clear any bush to do it, um, well, that's a different matter altogether. Um, if you're going to, and, and, and can I say in clearing bush, if you're clearing regrowth, look, um, there was an Aboriginal cultural, there is an existing Aboriginal cultural heritage law, which has had, you know, bipartisan support for a long time. Um, and that is, you know, I think, and I think most people think that protecting significant Aboriginal cultural heritage is important. And of course, the Jukun Gorge uh, example was the, the, the example that really catalyzed um, this, uh, this new act. Um, although there'd been work going on for a number of years before Jukun Gorge. Um, but there were you, you know, a major geological feature that was significant to Aboriginal people, but I think significant to anyone who looked at it was blowing up. This part of mine, all mine, you know, how, how the managers in Rio let that happen is beyond me, outside of everything cultural heritage. But um, so, look, I think it's important that you do it. So, we, you know, we would never get rid of the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act as such. But the changes that have been made under this Act, I think, as I've said before, institutionalised conflict. And there are definitely aspects about the regulations um, uh, and the area of land that comes into the purvey of this, the, the 1,100 square metres uh, rule, um, that I think is, is, is unnecessary. Um, we will definitely uh, be looking at, at modifications to this bill to make it workable um, and to ensure that or ordinary folk carrying out ordinary uh, actions on land that they own doesn't fall within the purvey of this act. And, and as I've mentioned before, this isn't just about landowners, it's about everyone who works on the land. And it's every bit of land. It's, it's not just private land, it's, it's local shires, um, it's every park, it's every garden, it's every piece of land over 1,100 square metres. So that's every football oval, uh, it's every park, uh, area in Perth, it's Kings Park, it's wherever you go. So, yeah, I mean, this 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 act um, and the regulations are overreach, and we will definitely be looking to modify that. But I want to make it clear: um, we recognise the importance that significant Aboriginal cultural heritage should be protected. All right, Alan Davis on Facebook says: So, David, will you be forcing dangerous, untested vaccines that don't work? Well, I don't think I've ever forced a vaccine on anyone. So um, we've discussed this topic a few times and I'll probably give you a pretty brief answer. And that is, um, you know, in, in an, particularly in relation to the um, COVID vaccine, I did think that that uh, COVID vaccine was worthwhile. And I, I'm on my fifth vaccination. Um, you know, uh, I want to, you know, it is important that any vaccine goes through proper due diligence and testing processes. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, I talked about this last time, where there's compunction, so where you're forcing people to do it um, uh, against their will, it has to be 
uh, a really strong public policy uh, reason. There has to be a really, you know, strong reason for doing that. And what was clear in this COVID pandemic was that um, past a certain point, uh, a lot of the mandates were punishment. They weren't about public health. They were about punishment of people who, you know, for various reasons, didn't want to get vaccinated. Now, and I, and I thought in the vaccine we saw in terms of the vilification of people who didn't get vaccinated, I thought that was really poor behaviour. Um, it brought out, you know, look, a crisis brings out the best of people but can also bring out the worst of people as well. And, and that vilification of people, no vilification is justified. I, you know, whether people, so there are popular areas where people talk about vilification of racial vilification and the like, um, but equally, it was completely inappropriate and uh, to to vilify uh, people who were conscientious objectors, if you like, to the vaccination. And as I say, there should have only been restrictions and compunction where it was absolutely required. It was clear at the end of, you know, as we got through the height of the pandemic, that there was punishment more than uh, medical justification. All right. Uh, many more questions out of TikTok primarily. Um Adam asks, how many seats do you have, David? I'm guessing you need some parking. Well, look, I've got one. Um, and can I tell you, I'm really grateful for that. And uh, and I work hard uh, for my local electors. So um, uh, the Liberal Party, and, you know, <laughs> this is barely a secret, I think, <laughs> only to the least informed. Uh, and that is the Liberal Party holds two seats in the lower house and seven seats in the upper house. And I've also spoken about the catalyst for that, which was... Um, Premier McGowan's, the perception of Premier McGowan's response to the COVID pandemic. And that was a one in a hundred year event. Uh, look, I am uh, absolutely looking forward to the next election. I have to be re-preselected for my seat. I have to be re-elected in my seat. I don't take either of those things for granted. And I always work hard to make sure I'm doing my job. Uh, but as important or more importantly, uh, you know, the Liberal Party has really uh, done a huge amount of work. We've just got a fantastic uh, group of potential candidates lined up and there's great work going on in policies. And uh, I expect to be far less lonely in terms of my own colleagues in the next parliament. Uh, never take anything for granted, but uh, I'm very optimistic about the next election. Uh, then asking an interesting question, are you a Democrat? Ah, well, I don't know. Do I support democracy? Yeah, look, I, I love our democracy. They, you know, it's, um, there's an old saying, I guess the sharp end of democracy is making laws in parliament and, and uh, they reckon that uh, watching laws being made is a bit like uh, watching sausages being made. Perhaps you shouldn't do it, but nevertheless, we all enjoy the sausages, or I do. Um, and uh, equally, I think our, our democratic process uh, if if that's what you're referring to, is is fantastic. And, uh, you know, we really are blessed. And I think you see the product of it in Western Australia. We don't enjoy the lifestyle we enjoy by chance. Um, we enjoy it because we've had good government, um, whether we've always liked the colour of their uh, flag um, for, uh, for, well, since, since Australia was formed, in fact. So we've been blessed with that. Anyone who travels overseas would recognise that. Um, if you're talking about political Democrats and conservatives and whatever, uh, look, you know, I think my views on subjects are pretty clear and where I stand is pretty clear. Um, Mackie asks, what recipes do you suggest while eating the rich? 
Uh, look, well, uh, hopefully you don't. Um, you know, it's uh, one of the sort of, I, I guess in Australia in particular, we're a very egalitarian society. You know, the great majority of people in our society enjoy a lifestyle that most people in the world, uh, you know, envy. It doesn't mean that there aren't individuals and there are, you know, a significant number of people who who don't uh, enjoy the pleasures, you know, or, or, the, or you know, enjoy the the benefits of our society and that's the job of politics that's something i focus on and i can say overwhelmingly my parliamentary colleagues focus on and that is how do we make sure that everyone has at you know at a minimum how to, making sure that everyone has the opportunity the same opportunity but more particularly some people can't take advantage of opportunities so what are you doing to help those people who can't if you like help for themselves um and i think uh there's a good focus on that i think there's a lot more that could be done I think I'll give you just one little um, uh, one little area, and that is I do think this current Labor government have utterly failed people in the area of social housing, and uh, hopefully that improves. All right. Um, Nanya Business on TikTok says, uh, unfortunately, government has two sides of the same coin, but Labor is worse. Well, um, it's interesting, and I won't go into a broad philosophical chat, um, but if you look at politics in Australia, we don't have, uh, we actually don't have very extreme differences between either side. It's a characteristic of our politics. It's driven by the fact that we have compulsory voting, and a lot of people don't like it, but what it means is that it drives a party to the centre because any party who's going to be elected has to appeal to the great, you know, to the majority of the community that sit in the centre. So, uh, I think that um, we are overwhelmingly well served by government collectively. Are there things that really irritate me and frustrate me? Well, who <laughs> listen to these podcasts, you know that's true. But um, I think by and large, um, our political process serve us well from time to time. Um, we see governments, and I think this current government does try and get around that, the way that bills have been forced through the state parliament. You know, the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Law was a point in case and if you want a bit of fun you can go and look at my um my speeches on that um you know i think that was an abuse of our parliamentary process but look if you look on the broad average i think we're pretty well served okay i think this is going to be the last question uh a guy with a username i won't <laughs> repeat says get laws back under common law of the constitution rather than commerce and maritime law labor put us in um, look, it's interesting. Is we are, you know, it would be a big discussion. Uh, many people don't sort of understand our legal processes, and of course, you have laws. You know, you have you have um, statutes, you have regulations. These are things that are done formally um, through Parliament because common law is is based on precedent established in the Parliament, in, in the courts, um, and in fact, uh, common law can supersede um, uh, and will be superior to. Uh, to, to the laws that are passed by governments. Um, again, boy, we're blessed with our courts. I don't always agree with the court decisions, perhaps, but um, I do agree with the process, and I know that, that all of that is taken very seriously. So um, I, I think, um, you know, we're there. You know, I think during the pandemic, we saw some high-handed behaviour by what's called the executive of government. Executive of government is the, is the premier or the prime minister and the minister's and the public service, if you like. Um, and I think um, in that crisis, um, the executive government overreached at times, but um, by and large, um, I guess my view is, I think we're pretty well served. 
Um, and if something's really bugging us, we get that chance to go in and change it when we come into government. All right, that's the end of it. Cheers. Thanks very much, everyone. As I say, please um, share with your mates, uh, with your colleagues and friends, and, and let's get the message out. Thank you.